Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Keeper Cup podcast. I am Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And we are going to have sort of a, a speculative conversation today. We're going to make up some trade rumors. I think it's probably worth noting before we get too far into this. Uh, maybe I'll speak for myself, Pete. You can tell me if it's different for you. I have no inside knowledge. I'm not throwing out rumors that are like real rumors. These are just theoretical things <laughs> that could happen. Yeah, these are definitely 100% theoretical. And I'm actually going to go on like a little bit of a rant about how we as the fans and even the media cannot predict these trades despite our best efforts. It never, ever, ever happens. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And it's it's sort of... I, one of the reasons I wanted to put that caveat out there is it drives me a little crazy when reporters sort of recklessly state things. Um, we'll talk about this a little later because I know one of the examples we're going to talk about is Jose Ramirez, but Morosi's tweet that was just like, the Indians have lost a bunch of games and Jose Ramirez could get traded. Like, I think people are taking that as if it's like a sourced report that he has and there's no evidence that it is. I think it's just him saying Indians bad maybe Jose Ramirez gets traded and it's like, <laughs> where... so it's just like, it's like these, these are, they're messing with these guys lives. Yeah. I mean, I think it's most rampant in the NBA at the trade deadline where it's like NBA players find out from hoopshype.com They've been traded before they find out from their own teams. Like that's, that's crazy. And so you're Jose Ramirez, you're chilling, you know, whatever's you've got roots in Cleveland, whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, this, this reporter with a million followers tweets out that you could be traded. It's like, what? what's happening? This is my life. Where am I moving to? Yeah. And, and I think you also, you know, you have no idea what's been going on inside the organization, but like, it's entirely possible. He literally had a conversation with the team a couple of days ago where they were talking about maybe an extension where they've been thinking about long-term stuff. And they were like, and he, he, talked about not being traded. Like, I, again, I'm making that up. I have no idea if that happened. But like, we have no idea. And yet we got reporters out there just throwing stuff around. <laughs> and it's and it's one thing, like, if you're a reporter who has talked to someone in a front office and like someone in a front office tells you Cleveland is talking about Jose Ramirez, then saying source inside of an, a major league front office says Cleveland is talking about, like, fine. That is your job. I get it. You should report that. And the reality is like, if you're Cleveland and you've allowed that leak to get out without letting Jose know or without having the right conversations internally, like that's on you. That's not on the, the reporter. But I don't think that's what's happening in a lot of these cases. I think a lot of these cases are just speculating and it's it's problematic, I think. It's it's not it isn't good. And so with that, what we want to talk about today are trades that theoretically could happen that would change a player's, at least one player involved change their long-term keeper value. And I wanted to put that caveat out there first because we are just sort of spitballing ideas here between us. There's no reporting here. There's no reason to believe any of this. What we are trying to do is stick to players whose names have been mentioned, players who it actually seems reasonable there could be a trade, um, and trades that at least at some level make sense, right? So we're, we're trying to avoid the like, you know, the fandom approach that you, you see so often, like since Jose Ramirez's name has been out there as a Cleveland fan, I've seen so many people who are like, Oh, the Mariners could trade for him, but they shouldn't put Kelnick or J rod or Noelvi Marte or Emerson Hancock or George Kirby on the table. And it's like, <laughs> great. I mean, that's fine. Like 
Yes, JB right. Crawford gets it done. Yeah, right. If right, maybe maybe the, maybe Cleveland just wants Kyle Seager to help fill out yeah. third base for the rest of the season, and that'll do it. Like they just fans make up the craziest stuff. On the other hand, I've also seen Cleveland fans who are like, "I wouldn't do it, but if you could get Wander Franco from Tampa and Jared Kelnick from Seattle <laughs> and Alec Manoa from Toronto, and let them figure out what the rest of it is, it's like okay, well that also that's not real, right? It's like we're we're gonna at least try to be reasonable, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, we'll be reasonable. I mean, you see it all the time in like comment sections and stuff like that. Of I love the articles that come out of like, you know, hypothetical trades and stuff like that. And I've written a couple of them for pitcher lists indirectly, I guess, in terms of like like my preseason previews of like what 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 each team should do before the season begins, and I'll throw out some hypothetical trades. But you'll see it in comment sections where like fans of one team are like, We wouldn't give up all those prospects. And then the fans of the other team would be like that's not enough for this player. I mean, it, it happens all the time. We just don't know what the, unless it comes from the front office or a reliable source, we don't know what the asking price is or if these players are even available. Yeah, I, that's, that's for sure true. And so it's, it's a lot of, a lot of just guesswork. The thing I was thinking about with Jose Ramirez, I think it's sort of interesting is I'm not sure I can think of a particularly good comparison of what Jose Ramirez would cost for in a trade, what what he would cost in a trade, because I can't think of a player. I mean, he's had three, is it three top three or three top four MVP finishes? I think it's three top three MVP finishes in the last four years. He has signed for two and a half more seasons at a very, very reasonable below market price. I'm not really sure I can think of another good example of a trade that's happened where a guy who is that talented and that inexpensive was moved. So Arenado doesn't work for the inexpensive part. Um, And I I did want to bring up that trade a little bit later Mm -hmm. because I think it's a great example of like what the fans thought they were going to get. And then this superstar future Hall of Fame player that has probably had a better career than Jose Ramirez to this point gets traded for Austin Gomber. But the one, the only one I could think of, and it's not a great comparison because it's a pitcher to a hitter. But when Chris Sale got traded to the Red Sox, he was under contract for three more years at arguably the best contract in baseball, and yeah. he had been a perennial Cy Young finalist. I mean, we're talking about like one of the three or four best pitchers consistently in the game every single year. And the reason why I bring it up as a as a comparison again is is because of how cheap the contract was. I mean, he, the Sox had him. I again, I think it was for. They traded for him in the winter of 2016, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had him under contract for three years and then signed him to an extension. And all throughout the negotiations, because Chris Hill had been rumored to go to the Sox and to be traded for for a while before he finally got moved. All I ever heard, and and I'll just put this on the local level, was the White Sox are going to hang up the phone unless it's Benintendi and Moncada. They're going to hang up the phone unless it's those two. At the time, Benintendi and Moncada were both top five prospects in all of baseball. Michael Kopik hadn't really burst on the scene. I mean, Red Sox fans knew about him. He threw absolute gas, and he was coming off a, a pretty strong like 80 innings in 2016, but he was not nearly as highly rated as a prospect as Benintendi and Moncada. And all I was hearing is it's going to take both, it's going to take both, and probably something else. It cost one of them. It cost Moncada, and yeah, they had to put in Kopik, and it looks like that's going to end up being a, a pretty fair offer. But like, that's that was the one that immediately made me think, like, man, the fans don't know anything. Like this idea that we were going to have to give away our entire farm system for Chris Sale. I'm going to push back a little on that, though, only because 
I'm looking at the MLB pipeline prospect list from 2016. It's not the only list out there. Lots of, you know, lots of other lists. Michael Kopech was number 30 on their list at that time. So no, he wasn't Benintendi, right? I totally get what you're saying. Benintendi, like that list, Mankata's one. Benintendi is five. Kopech is then 30. And then there were two other prospects in that deal, right? I don't know if either of them were... I'm trying to remember who they were. I can't remember. Wasabe was one of them, right? Uh, yes. And yes. And I think it was confusing because we had two Wasabes within our system. And I, I can't think of the fourth. Yeah. I, anyways, the point is that if I'm looking at that, and I'm going to go, I want to look at, you know, if you look at the most recent MLB pipeline list, and you're talking about a comparable deal, you're going to have to start with one of those top five-ish in the game prospects. Because I think that if you're comparing Ramirez to Sale, he's got a little bit less control because this year's already started, more than started, right? This year's more than half over. He's just as inexpensive. He's just as talented. He's probably less risky because Sale's a pitcher. Pitchers are always just inherently more risky. And but Sale- I think that increases the value of Chris Sale. I think that this is why ace starting pitchers go for such a premium is because like I, I think in a, in a vacuum, Chris Sale in 2016 goes for more than Jose Ramirez in 2021. It's interesting. See, I, and you could be right. I think to me, starting pitching goes for a huge premium in season because they're healthy and they're pitching and you need somebody now. But before the season, I think like if you're if you're valuing three years of Chris Sale, you have to assume some amount of risk that he misses one of those seasons. Right now, it turns out he missed a subsequent season. Right, he didn't. He didn't miss one of those. He missed one later. He, he ended up missing a season. So, I mean, yeah. hindsight, yes. But I, I don't think when the Red Sox traded for him, they were thinking we're going to get this guy and he's going to miss an entire season. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, to be clear, I'm not saying they they assumed he was missing a season. I'm saying in valuing him, you have to look at it and say he signed for three years at this price. If he p- pitches three years, he's worth X. If he pitches two years or one and a half of those years, he's worth Y. And I have to assume there's a 20% chance that he misses a year or two, right? Like maybe that's an, maybe that's an overstatement. Maybe it's 20%, 10% that he misses a year. But there's some number you have to put in there. And that number is much higher for a pitcher than it is for a position player. That's for sure. So anyways, I, I, I just I think uh, as we're thinking about these trades, talking about these trades, if we talk about Ramirez, which we will... I think it's worth keeping in mind that like any trade for Jose Ramirez is going to have to start with some some big time guys, right? If Sale took two top thirty, a, a number one overall, a number thirty overall, number thirty ish, another let's call it another top fifty guy, and two more prospects, then Ramirez is not going to be far behind that if he's behind that at all. Yeah, no, I I I don't I don't disagree. I do think a starting pitchers. Are just go like that's that's the yeah. premium purchase in baseball, but otherwise, yes. I mean, Jose Ramirez definitely qualifies as someone who's going to net that kind of return. So I think we should start with him, Chad, sure, um, and and just get it all out there. So because because of that Morrissey tweet that was unsubstantiated and no other rumors have come about, and I haven't seen anything on MLB trade rumor, I chose him. And the reason I I chose him isn't so much actually because of the value. I don't think his value had changed that much. I mean, Cleveland is not a good offense, and I have him going to the Dodgers, who is an excellent offense. So I guess, you know, there's definitely 
some value there. But I would have Gavin Lux, who was just in 2019, the second prospect in baseball, um, according to, to some websites. Like Prospect Pipeline had Gavin Lux number two. He's still just 23 years old. Obviously, his first taste of the major leagues has not been great. I I would blame part of that on the inconsistent playing time. And I don't even think that's really the Dodgers fault because they've been in World Series mode literally since he got called up. So it's like we have all these utility guys. We have all these guys that can fill in. If Lux isn't hacking it, we're not going to play him. But I'd like to see him go to Cleveland because I think he would have that consistent opportunity. And also Kybert Ruiz, who I have not looked up his ranking right now. He's having a phenomenal season at AAA for in the, within the Dodgers system. I think he's got like 16 homers. He's hitting 300. He's got an OPS, I think, over 1,000. And, and a catcher prospect, those are always valued pretty highly. So those two I have headlining it. And I'm not even going to try to finish and figure out what other prospects or, or players would be included in the steal. I mean, I assume Cleveland would be more in win now because they still have a pretty solid roster at the major league level, which is another reason why Jose Ramirez probably isn't going anywhere. But anyway, so I, I like I would like it for Gavin Lux. His, his, his strikeout rate and his walk rate have uh, gotten better each year since he's been in the league. His BABIP seems a little low this year at 285, so maybe there's some bad luck involved. And I do think a lot of it is just consistency. I know that one of the best prospects within Cleveland's system is a catcher. Uh, Nailer. Bo Nailer. Josh's brother. Okay, I, did, I didn't know they were related. Interesting. Yeah, they, uh, there was a great story team. back in spring training. They're, they're related. They're brothers, but they're, they're, they're enough years apart that growing up, they never played together. So when they showed up to spring training this year, so Bo wasn't around last year during pandemic year. Yeah. Uh, when when and so when they showed up this year to tr- spring training, I believe it was the first time they'd ever been on a field together. Basically, like I'm sure they goofed around playing as kids, but right. this was like the first time they'd ever like been on a team on a field at the same time. Uh, oh, so it was really sort cool. of a fun story. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, and, and as, as awesome as Bo Naylor maybe could be, I highly doubt he's the level of prospect of, of Kybert Ruiz. So starting it off with two two elite prospects. And then, you know, as you and I were talking about before we started recording, Chad, this opens up the door for Nolan Jones, who's on the cusp, right? He's having a pretty solid year at AAA. He's got a ton of RBI, I think 16 bombs. So all of a sudden, one third of that lineup would become major league level guys who were elite prospects and and you know you start crafting that with with Shane Bieber and the rest of that okay roster for Emil Reyes you know you could you could begin to turn around things in Cleveland for the better yeah so I want to take this in, in sort of two parts I think first talking about the deal itself uh, which is not really our focus but I think there's an issue with the, with this deal for Cleveland which is they've still got two catchers at the major league level who they really like who are who are around for a little bit in Hedges and Perez. They've got Naylor coming. They are also just loaded with middle infield prospects, right? So you've got, you know, Ahmed Rosario has been quite good and he's around for a few more years. Then they just acquired Andres Jimenez in the, in the Lindor trade. They're arguably their top prospect right now is Tyler Freeman, who's a shortstop. They've got Gabriel Arias, who came over from the Padres in the Clevenger deal. Um, who's in AAA now. And then they've got guys like Aaron Brocco and Brian Rocky. Like They're just loaded with middle infield prospects. I'm not sure they are that interested in Lux. Now, don't get me wrong. Lux is an excellent prospect. I'm sure they'd be thrilled to have him. But I think if they're looking at that, like I don't think trading... Let's put it this way. I don't think trading Ramirez for Lux and Ruiz will make Cleveland better 
at any point in the future. It makes them worse now. It makes them worse for the next two years when they could have just kept Ramirez. And I think by three years from now, I'm not sure I believe that Lux and Ruiz are actually that much more, are going to make that much of a difference compared to just rolling with some of the guys they have. And I think if they're going to trade Ramirez, it's going to be because they get something that really makes them a lot better. That said, we're not really here to break down trades that aren't happening. We're we're here to talk about the keeper value of these guys. And I think the bigger, there's sort of two bigger points you're making here. One is Gavin Lux could use a change of scenery, which I think is for sure true. And I do think who knows if he gets if he actually gets moved, but he is a totally logical trade chip if the Dodgers feel like they've got a need. Right. If the Dodgers are looking out there and saying, we've got a hole to fill, they've had some injury issues, whatever hole it is they think they need. They've lost Trevor Bauer probably for the season. Maybe they decide they need a pitcher. Getting Lux out of there where he isn't really doing much to help them get over the top makes a ton of sense to me. And I, and I I agree with everything you said about him. I think it would really help him to get a to get a a clean start and to get a get to a team that will just plug him in the lineup at second base or shortstop and say we'll see you in September. <laughs> like enjoy the next few weeks, see what you can do and when the season's over we'll we'll regroup and figure out what's coming next. But like let's give him a real shot. And then on the other side, I do think there's a good chance that Cleveland makes a trade at some point that opens up room for Nolan Jones. And I think he's a really, I think they they should do that. My guess is that the trade that they make to clear space for him is either an outfielder because he's been working out in the outfield a lot, or it's moving Cesar Hernandez. Uh, And Cesar Hernandez is inexpensive this year, having an absolutely excellent season. I think he's got another home run today, if I'm correct. Uh, we're recording on Sunday, July 25th for those who are curious. Um, I know he had one yesterday. I'm not sure. I'd have to yeah, look. he did for bottom of the first. I think you see leading off. Yeah. He led off the game today against Ryan Yarborough with a home run. Wow. So he's, uh, he's been really good. There's an option on his contract for next year. I think it's a team option. That's, I can't remember exactly how much, but it's less than $10 million for which, for what he's doing is great. Plus, it's an option, so if a team wants to pass on it, they can. I think he's got a decent amount of trade value. And I think it's at least worth considering whether they would trade him, move Ramirez back to a middle infield spot, and give Nolan Jones third base. Um, I don't know if that's realistic. The team has been pretty clear they don't want to move Ramirez, and so I'm assuming that's not going to happen. But I think there's a good chance they make some move to open up some space for Jones. I think getting Andres Jimenez back up to the major league level matters for them. I think they want to see what Gabriel Arias can do. So I think you're going to see Cleveland make some moves like that to make some room for, for some of these young guys. I think that I think that those pieces of it make sense, even though I don't think Ramirez for Lux, Ruiz, and company is going to do it. And so, I mean, looking at this again from the fantasy perspective and, and trying to figure out, well, what can we do that's actionable? I as Chad said, I do think Nolan Jones is going to be up at some point this year. I think that's obvious. I mean, of, of all three of these guys, well, obviously Lux is already up, but I think Nolan Jones is definitely going to play. And I think Kybert Ruiz has to be, in terms of prospect, I mean, we all know who the major league like hot ticket items are, right? Like Scherzer and Gallo and Story. But in terms of prospects, what those guys might be going back for, Kybert Ruiz has to be at the top of the list because 
the Dodgers like Austin Barnes, man. I mean, he's going to be 32 years old, but he plays and obviously he's got a relationship with Kershaw. And then Will Smith is one of the best catchers in baseball. A great fit on that Dodger team. Very clutch in their World Series run. He's not going anywhere. And the Dodgers are a team that likes to wheel and deal. So the second I hear that Ruiz has been traded, that Lux has been traded, or that the Indians have moved an offensive piece, I'm looking at Jones, I'm looking at Lux, I'm looking at Cabot Ruiz and my keeper leagues and thinking like I should maybe make a move here because this guy is right on the cusp. All three of those guys are either AAA or already on the major league level. Let's get them some consistent playing time. Yeah, I think that that makes total sense. And I think that is that is the actionable piece here is those are all guys who you could pick up and potentially get value from pretty quickly. And Jones, you know, Jones's overall line on the number this year has not been great. But his first two weeks were pretty terrible. And since those first two weeks, he has a 371 on base percentage with a 487 slugging, uh, 128 WRC plus. Obviously, AAA, it's going to get harder for him when he comes up. But that skill set that he has of power and on base tends to translate well. Uh, and he doesn't have, he, he doesn't, he strikes out more than you'd like, but it's not such a big issue. He's not. It's not like a Joey Gallo level strikeout issue, which means he doesn't need Joey Gallo level power to make up for it. Uh, And so we'll see. I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, Like I said, like you said, on Lux, I think it's just about playing time. Same thing probably with Ruiz. So let's jump to another example. Who's another player who you think could end up moved that would move the needle on their value? Sure. I'll, let's get the unexciting one out of the way. And I, Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates, and it's nothing against him. I think he's a great reliever, but I think he's destined to be on the move. The Phillies of all the teams that are trying to contend and with Dave Dombrowski at the helm. And I don't know if you read his comments. They are absolutely going to be making deals. I thought the Phillies would be a good fit. I threw out Mickey Moniak as a name. It's probably not enough to land a, a reliever like Richard Rodriguez at the deadline, but like we said before, we're not we're not really trying to predict a trade here. We're trying to predict guys who could move and what the fantasy implications could be. Rodriguez obviously going to the Phillies, he would get more save opportunities. I think he would immediately be established as the closer there. Their their bullpen has been a disaster, whether it's been Alvarado or Neris. Uh, or who's the other option there? Archie Bradley. It's all been bad. Um, so Rodriguez would provide some stability. So I think his value would go up. But all of a sudden, David Bednar of the Pirates, who's been a guy I've been hearing about really since spring training. He is a player who I would keep an eye on once Rodriguez gets dealt. First of all, once Rodriguez gets dealt, I'd pick him up immediately if he needs saves because he's going to become the closer. And he has been pretty awesome this year. He got off to a little bit of a shaky start. I knew I, I know I added him in some leagues where it was saves plus holds, which is probably a silly move. If he's not the closer and he's just a reliever on Pittsburgh, I don't know how many holds you can really depend on there. Nevertheless, I had to release him because he wasn't really producing, but he has really come around. He's got a 31% K rate. He has three pretty good offerings. His fastball is up in the high 90s. Uh, and that of, of his three pitches has the highest expected batting average against at just 226. He's 26 years old. He could be an elite reliever in our game. Uh, and that move of Richard Rodriguez, I think, again, would help stabilize Philadelphia. So a one simple trade of, of Rich Rod to any contender, I think, all of a sudden creates two better closers in our game in Bednar and Rodriguez. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I actually, I, I will say, I, I have I have some fab bids on Bednar right now. Ho- low. 
right? I'm, I'm going cheap this week in the hopes that, of course, by the time you guys hear this, it's Monday, it's too late. If you're not doing fab though, and you have the ability to pick him up, pick him up now while he's inexpensive, uh, especially in deeper leagues, right? Because I think in a shallower league, you know, using up a roster spot on a guy who may be valueless is, is a challenge. But man, I don't know, even in like, even in a relatively shallow league, giving up a bench spot for a week to lock in a closer is yeah. a is a pretty pretty nice move, especially because I do think you know Bednar could be the closer there. Like talking about from a keeper value perspective, if he's a closer there for a couple of years, it wouldn't totally surprise me. And so there's a real opportunity there. I think the the question in Philadelphia and the guy to maybe be concerned about um, is Ranger Suarez who has pitched pretty well and has started to get some more opportunities to be the closer, get some saves in Philadelphia. And so there's maybe some concern about his long-term value because there was a possibility he was really going to establish himself. But I think you're right that I don't think they're going to... The Phillies, whether or not he could establish himself, the Phillies are not going to wait to find out. They're going to go out and get a guy if they can, and Rodriguez makes a ton of sense for them. Yeah, Suarez to me is doesn't really profile as your typical closer. I, I I think he's just a guy who landed on the job and has pitched a couple of nice innings. Uh, I think Rodriguez, even more so than Kimbrell, I think Rodriguez is likely to be dealt 31 years old, elite reliever on an absolutely dreadful team. So the second he's traded, pick up David Bednar. Makes sense. What about Kimbrell? Let's talk a little bit about Kimbrell. Do you think he's getting moved? I think he should. Yeah, I, th- I think he will. Um, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a full-on fire sale in Chicago. I don't. I don't really know where he could go. There's certainly been rumors here locally about a package of both Rizzo and Kimbrel. I, I if if that's going to cost, which obviously it would, more prospects, I would rather just have Anthony Rizzo because you know I like Kimbrel, but he he's hasn't been that great here in the playoffs. And and our bullpen has also been kind of outstanding. It's been taxed. We've had to use it a lot because our rotation's really not that great. It's 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 going to catch up to us. Thank God we got sale coming back. But I, I would have no interest as a Red Sox fan. I do think he's going to get moved, though. That could certainly be Philadelphia, maybe even the Dodgers, who, who's certainly had some issues in the back end, even with Kenley Jansen, decide to go. I would never rule out the Dodgers for any player in MLB, I guess is what for sure. That that seems to be their MO. Right. You'd think the same thing with the with the Padres, right? I mean, if they think that Kimbrell can make their bullpen stronger, I don't think they'd hesitate to make a move for him. And Kimbrell has another year of control left. He's got an option for next season. And so there's a there's some real value for for him as well. Who does that open up? I mean, I you know, Kimbrell I, I suppose it could hurt Kimbrell can only really hurt his value at some level because the Cubs are good enough that he's getting enough save opportunities. He's pitching incredibly well. Um, there is a possibility he ends up in, you know, he ends up in San Diego and he is pitching behind Melanson or taking, you know, taking the eighth inning. I, I don't think that's likely, but it's at least possible. So I don't think you're changing his long-term outlook very much. Whose outlook would that change if he gets moved? So that's a good question. I mean, I, I think the best the best non-Kimbrel pitcher in the bullpen for them has been Ryan Tapera, but when Kimbrel was horrendous last year, it got turned over to Rowan Wick. So I don't, I don't know if there's an immediate answer. Maybe there's somebody lurking that that I'm not completely familiar with. Andrew Chafin, maybe Chaffin, Chafin. I should know how to pronounce that, but um, my guess would be Ryan Tapera. He's the one I would circle. 
especially if the Cubs want to have a quick turnaround, which I don't know. I think this is going to be a long, a long turnaround for the Cubs, but Ryan Tapera could certainly be a closer for a few years. He's just 34 years old and he's been pretty good this year. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And Tapera has been, been really solid. He's been sort of a part of a, a little bit of a big three they've had there. And I think the bigger question with Tapera is, does he also get traded, right? I mean, if they're, if they're really, let, let's be honest, if you're the Cubs and you're tearing things down, there's no reason to keep relief pitchers. Sure. Right. And, and I think this, this goes for sort of any team. And by the way, as long as we're talking trading relievers, I think this goes in keeper and dynasty leagues as well. Um, I, if I'm, if you're tearing things down, shop your relievers, at least in my opinion, even if you've got good relievers, even if you have good cheap relievers that you think you're going to be able to hold on to for years to come, relief pitching is so fickle. It changes so quickly. If you're in a league that counts saves or holds, it can be so role dependent. They're, they're always at the top of my list of guys to move for in, in a rebuild in fantasy. And I think they should be for major league teams too. I dealt Melanson weeks ago. I think he's the prime example, but they should be the first guys that you look to. But also that's why, like, if you're thinking, oh, we're talking about keeper leagues. Why are we talking about three relievers over 30 and Richard Rodriguez and Craig Gimble and Ryan's pair? Well, for a keeper league, if we're talking about closers, age doesn't matter because even for the young guys, the job may not last that long. Yeah. That, and that's the thing is they, they, I don't know, they relievers struggle so quickly. And when they do struggle, they lose their job so quickly. And, even when they're good, they don't necessarily keep their jobs. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Move on from your your relievers as quickly as you can. So I'm going to shift now. I'm going to throw one out for you because you've thrown out the first two. And the situation I want to talk a little bit about is the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees have had a bunch of injury issues, um, as I think everybody has. They've had some problems in their middle infield, particularly with Glaber Torres not performing. And there is a guy in Colorado who could get traded, who would look pretty nice in Yankee Stadium in Trevor's story. Uh, I'm less interested in his long-term value because he's a free agent to be anyways. And so regardless of where he goes, his long-term value will be determined in you know December or January or February or whenever, not at the trade deadline. But anytime there's a possibility of a player moving from a different park into Coors, it's interesting. And the Yankees have a couple of bats that have been struggling, not getting a ton of playing time, need to sort of figure out what they're going to do with in Clint Frazier and Miguel Anjahar. Uh, I'm not going to start to get into exactly what the cost for Trevor's story will be, because I think the big question and the cost for Trevor's story is how many teams are in on him in the trade market. It'll be more of a market-driven thing than a value-driven thing. But I could see either of those guys being included in a return to Colorado. What do you think of those guys and how does it change your thinking on either of them if they end up in course? I think, I think those two need a. I mean, I guess saying need a change of scenery is a bit aggressive because what, I mean, I'd love to hit in Yankee stadium in that lineup, but if you need kind of a jolt to your career and your Clint Frazier, Miguel and go hit in course. Uh, I think that would be a great, I, I think any hitter going to course is a great fit. Right. And now, granted, the the Rockies would actually have to play them, which has definitely been an issue for them in the past. But I think if you're getting players back for the face of your franchise, that your fan base is almost going to make you play them. So I would expect to see Frazier and or Duhar every day. And Duhar has been getting a lot of work in the outfield. Not that he's any good out there, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're talking about fantasy value. So we want to see him hit. So I would definitely have interest in those, at least in deeper leagues. 
you know, I'm not saying in your keeper leagues, like go pick up Clint Frazier. If you see he's dealt in a package for Trevor story, because he could end up just being still a pretty poor hitter. He has a lot of flaws in his offensive game, but there is a chance that all of a sudden he's now a, a 250, 30 homer guy who gets pretty consistent playing time in a great park. And now that interests me. And let's not forget that before all these shoulder issues, and they were pretty bad, they were, it was not pretty for Andujar. He missed a ton of time. He was awesome when he debuted. He was, he was arguably better than Glaber Torres. He probably should have won the American League Rookie of the Year. I don't remember if he did or did not, but Miguel Andujar was a tremendous player, hurts his shoulder, and now it's, he can't find playing time. He's, he's, he's kicked around all over the place. I think both those guys could use a change of scenery and what better place than Colorado. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I I wonder it's so hard to predict what Colorado is going to do, but I would think if if I were Colorado I'd be looking for guys who are a little bit further off because I don't think they're I don't think Colorado is close, but I don't know. Colorado does things that I can't explain and so I'm I'm not going to try to guess what their what their mindset they is. Are, not even remotely close, no. especially when you look at the other teams in the division. Yeah. And so, you know, Endhar, like he's not a free agent until 2025. So it's not like he doesn't have control, but I also don't think they need to start burning time on whatever they acquire for story tomorrow. They'd be better off sure. getting someone they could, they could hold on to a little longer. Endhar, I, I don't know. I, I've never, I'm never a big fan of guys who are low walk and just sort of swing at everything type profiles. But Antihar did never struck out a ton. And so he's, he is intriguing. I would like to see what he could do with, with more regular playing time. Maybe he'll get that with the Yankees once he comes back from his most recent injury. We'll have to see. But uh, he is an interesting sort of change of scenery guy or regular playing time guy. I think that we've talked about that a couple times with, with Lux and now the Yankees guys. So I think there's options there. Looking at a player who might go the other way into New York and change his, his long-term value or potentially change his long-term value. Lots of rumors out there about Joey Gallo, possibilities he'd be traded. Supposedly the Rangers are talking extension. Oftentimes those things go together, right? You have the extension talks and if they don't work, then you get what you can when you can. Gallo has at least it seems been hurt quite a bit by, I mean, he's playing great. Don't get me wrong. He's been excellent, especially recently. But the new park in Texas is not nearly as power friendly as the old park. And that is probably, that's not ideal for Joey Gallo, right? You want Joey Gallo in a place where his power would play up. The Yankees always looking for upgrades. Never again, sort of like you're saying with the Dodgers, never really sort of assume that the Yankees are out on a guy. Boy, would it be fun to see him swinging at that short porch at Yankee Stadium. Maybe not for you since you're a Red Sox fan. <laughs> no, definitely not. But 17 of his 24 homers have gone to right field this season. So you could imagine if he was playing in, in Yankee Stadium where right field is a little league park and it's, it's like 314 feet. And it was so rich hearing Yankee fans complain about the the cheap home runs. I want to say it was Enrique Hernandez the other day because of the monster or whatever. It's like, really, you're going to talk about that. But uh, we also need to put something else to bed with these Joey Gal to the Yankee rumors, Yankee fans who say, I don't want another bat like Aaron judge and Giancarlo Stan, who's just homers or strikeout. So you're saying you don't want another bat. That's like your two best bats. <laughs> Joey Gallo would be a great fit in Yankee stadium. That middle of the order would be monstrous when it's on the field. So yes, I think I think that would be great. And I think he would also, even though 
Is Gallo does Gallo have another year of control, or is he? He's a he does. As well, no, right? I think he's got another he year does, of control. Okay. So he might be more expensive than Story, actually. He should be. Um, I also, I mean, I, he's he's a very good defensive player too, which I think people sometimes right. forget. Uh, a rocket for an arm, but he should be he should be very costly. There there are not unless the Jose Ramirez talks turn out to be true and he's really on the market. I, I think Gallo might be the most expensive player that's being talked about. He has another year of arbitration left. He'll be a free agent after next season, but he plays good defense. He's a great power hitter. He walks. So he gets on base at a high rate. And I'm just looking at one of, one of my, one of the fun features at baseball savant is um, it tells you how many of a player's home runs would be home runs in another stadium. And so, like you said, Joey Gallo has 24 home runs this year. If he played at Yankee Stadium, he would have 28 home runs. That's the most of any park. Uh, he'd also be a good fit in Philadelphia based on this, where he would have 27 home runs, 26 in Baltimore. So a couple other parks where he'd have a, a few more. But Yankee Stadium is the park where if he were playing there, he would have more home runs at Yankee Stadium than anywhere else. And so he would make a ton of sense there. He'd be super fun to watch there, except for the fact that he'd be playing for the Yankees. If only he could play his home games in Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. We yes, can figure that out somehow. Out that <laughs> he just gets sure. traded every day to whoever's playing against the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it'd be super fun to watch him hit there. And I think he'd be, that's a guy who maybe it would reestablish his long-term value for me, at least for the next year or two. Besides the fact that I think if he, Regardless of what happens with him, there's going to be questions about where he ends up after next season, since he'll be a free agent after next season. If he got traded to New York, I would expect the Yankees to try to extend him pretty quickly. And there's a good chance that would happen. And then you'd start to lock him into that lineup and into that park for the long term. That feels a lot better to me. He also, by the way, Texas could be a landing spot for for Frazier or Anjahar to, to sort of reestablish some value as well. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting one. Um, the reality is I'm not sure Gallo needs help reestablishing his value given the way he's hit the last couple months, but uh, boy, would he, would he take, I think he would take a meaningful boost in the middle of that lineup in that park. Yeah. He's, he's currently on a, well, big picture. Yes. In long term, Yes. I mean, I, we, we do have to keep in mind though, you know, don't rush out. If he does get traded to the Yankees, don't rush out to pay a premium He's still the streaky player that he's always been. Um, and I've talked about in the past how I, I am with streaky players. And especially because I play a lot of weekly head-to-head where it can kill you. It's killing me this week. And it killed me last week. Joey Gallo is two for his last 27 with, I want to say, 17 strikeouts. And, I mean, but that's just like, that's Joey Gallo. And you enjoyed him the two weeks before that because he hit you 10 home runs in 10 games. Um, so, yes, like long-term, big picture, Joey Gallo in Yankee Stadium. Great fit. Just don't, we shouldn't lose sight of Joe, who Joey Gallo is and, and his ceiling because of how streaky he can be with those strikeouts. Yeah, totally makes sense. So one of the teams we have not talked about yet, but who has already been busy on the trade market is Minnesota. Uh, they shipped out Nelson Cruz. He has landed in Tampa just in time to face my Cleveland team, the Guardians, the Indians, whatever you want to call them. He's already got two home runs against them in the last three games. He is driving me crazy. 
I really was like, I was thrilled to see him leave the central and have him leave the central and land back in progressive field as an opponent immediately upon leaving the central was not what I was looking for. Uh, so I'll be glad to see him go tomorrow, but <laughs> twins probably aren't done. You think the twins have any moves that would, would result in some interesting changes? Yeah. If they decide to move Jose Barrios, then, then yes, I think there's a big move on the horizon. Um, the one that I came up with is I think the Red Sox need starting pitching, even though they have, you know, Hauk looked great the other day against the Yankees, which I'm sure you saw that. That was great to see in Chris Sale coming back. But both those guys have their own sort of durability concerns for the rest of the year, not in terms of like getting hurt, but innings load. So it'd be nice to get a real horse in Jose Barrios. According to the Athletic, the Twins want two top 100 prospects and a player who, an MLB player who's pre-arbitration eligible. So I came up with the idea of Jeter Downs, who the Red Sox just got for Mookie Betts, which can sound like, wait a second, you're going to trade the guy you got for Mookie Betts for Jose Barrios? Well, he's having a down year at AAA, and obviously the Red Sox look pretty good at the major league level. So, you know, I, I think they should look to improve as opposed to stash all of their prospects. And then I added Bobby Dahlback and Jay Groom. So Jay Groom was a first round pick years ago. Uh, he was a guy who was supposed to have a really high ceiling. He was rated as a top, I think, 32 prospect in 2016. But he lost all his value due to injuries and just poor play. It looks if you just look at the ERA, it looks like he's having a bad year, but he's actually reestablishing a lot of that prospect value that he had, um, especially with the strikeouts. Dahlbeck would be that major league player who like, look, I mean, <laughs> he was a top 100 prospect on a few lists that I saw when he was first getting called up. I know that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Bobby Dahlbeck, um, but I thought that was a pretty solid package for Berrios at the end of the day. If that's all the Red Sox are offering, I would expect them to go somewhere else. But again, we're not trying to predict, you know, one way or another what these trades are going to be. I'm really just looking at this through the lens of Berrios. And I, I think he would get obviously a boost in his his value i think the red Sox are a better team to pitch for his win potential goes up but it's the opening he leaves behind in minnesota that i find most intriguing for jordan belazovich belazovich has been you know on top 100 lists before really far down um, on those prospect lists be it baseball america or mlb pipeline but in 2019 he was really looking like he was breaking out he had a whip under one he was awesome he had 129 strikeouts in 93 innings then we lost 2020 um due to due to covid we didn't get the minor league season and he has just completely picked up where he left off he's got good velocity a whip down at 1.13 with 57 strikeouts through 44 innings in 9 games started that's a 2.44 ERA so throughout the minors a 3.18 ERA with a 1.13 whip 309 strikeouts through 272 innings. I'm not trying to do a giant stat dump, but this is a player who could be pitching on a major league team by the end of the month. And I think he's worth identifying in keeper leagues and potentially stashing in those deeper formats. Yeah, I think Blazevich is really, really interesting. I think I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what I think the Twins are going to do. And, and to me, given how good their offense has been and how suspect their pitching has been, Trading Barrios feels like a step in the wrong direction. Um, they just went out and traded Cruz to get, in part, pitching, right? To get Joe, Joe Ryan, who I think can help them soon. Um, I do wonder, Blazovich probably has an advantage in getting a, a shot before Ryan just because he's already part of the organization and they know him and they know what to look for and all that stuff. But Ryan is actually probably closer to the majors 
Blazovic is in in double A, putting up that great season. Doesn't mean he has to go to triple A, but I, I would think they would move him up step by step. We'll have to see. Um, I just wonder. I don't know if if I'm the Twins, I'm not really looking to trade Barrios. If somebody blows me away, I think it's like one of those things that like. I always get annoyed when people are like, oh, they're listening on, you know, whoever, right? The Like every player, every team should always be listening on. Like if somebody calls the Padres and is like, we want to talk about Tatis, the Padres should have that conversation because who knows what some what stupid thing somebody might offer you. Realistically, they're not going to offer it. And it's not going to happen. If I'm the Twins, I'm sort of in that mode with Barrios, which is like, okay, Red Sox, you want to talk about Barrios? Throw something out there. Let us know what you think. But I'm not making a deal with him unless, I don't know, I, I think I have to get pitching back in the deal because I think they desperately need arms to back up that offense. But I do think that what they, the other thing they need to do is like, they got some guys they should just jettison. Like there's no reason for them to continue giving starts to like J-Hap. He's, he's not going to help them long-term. He's not helping them now. <laughs> They're not going to win. Uh, and so finding out what Joe Ryan can do in the majors, finding out what Jordan Blazovich can do in the majors, like that's way more interesting to me than continuing to roll out guys like that. You know, there are other older pitchers. There are other pitchers they can move on from. Michael Pineda is a free agent after this season. Um, Kenta Maeda is still so inexpensive and locked up for a couple more years. And even though he hasn't been as great this year, I don't think they're doing, I don't, I don't think you move on from him, but you know, Hap's a free agent after the year. I would just see if somebody wants to give you some cash for him. And if they don't just move on and make room to see what sort of youth you can get. I, I don't know. I, I think those guys are more likely to be moved than Barrios, but I do think there are some really interesting arms now in that system who I would love to see what they can do given a major league shot. Um, and we'll just have to see if they can, if they can figure that out at some point soon. I'm sure the twins have an idea of what it's going to take to sign Berrios. And if in their mind, they're not going to be offering that number or he he's going to walk. Well, if they wait until next year to trade him now, he's just a rental. So I, I think this, if they do decide, you know, our three to four year plan does not involve Jose Berrios, we're not going to be able to bring him back. Then now is the time to strike, but you're right in that they should be targeting pitching. At the same time, I, I, I'm not so sold that the offense is going to continue to be great, particularly without Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson. I'm sure they'd love to part ways there with that. That I, I forget what he signed for. He, he has long term. Yeah, his contract, he's got two more years at what basically amounts to $50 million on that contract. Because it's like 20, I think it's like 21 or 22 per year for the next two years. And then there's a team option for like a 16 million for the third year, but it's an $8 million buyout. So you are paying him $50 million for the next two seasons. And then you can get one more season at $8 million when he's old and maybe even more broken than he already is. He's an interesting guy for me from a trade perspective because I think he needs to get out of, I think he needs to go to a team that isn't going to make him play the field. Sure. Uh, he just that really limits their options, right? Though. Well, for sure, especially with the you add in the contract. I mean, but I think the contract limits their options so much, anyways. That if there's an American League team that is that wants him to DH, then they can go like he's already got very limited value because of that contract. And so right. I don't think that you know, and and the reality is 
there may be teams that are happy to play him at third base. I just think from a fantasy perspective, I want to get him out of the field where he can maybe stay healthy and stay on the field because he's just struggled so much to, with, with health over the last few years. I don't know. And maybe fielding has nothing to do with it. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a doctor, I, but it, it just seems like the less stress he can put, particularly on his legs, the better. Right. And so, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think they're far away from from contending. I I, I would. So and it would sound strange because they're they're coming off a stretch of great regular seasons, but I think trading away Nelson Cruz is is a very clear signal to me that like. The flag, the white flag is up, and and it's time to reconsider what we're Cruz doing was on a one year deal though, right? So he he is a rental. Yeah, so the, I don't think I don't think that that's what I, I I could be wrong, but I think the Twins, I think the Twins think they could win the division next year. I think the Twins think <laughs> they their offense is still very good. They've got they've had you know Karoloff has been is up but has been hurt. They think they're going to get a step forward from Larnock. Royce Lewis is going to be available at some point soon. Like, I think they think they've got plenty of offense and that Barrios bounce back from Maeda, some development from Belazovic and Ryan, and maybe a free agent signing. And they're right back in there. And so I think they're much more likely to make a trade that gets them pitching that is going to be ready to go next year. And I think that, I think the, the return in the Nelson Cruz trade was telling from that perspective. Because I don't think like they didn't go out and get the you know someone who's far away. They didn't go out and necessarily get the number one best possible prospect they could get. They got a guy who is a very good prospect who immediately fits a need for them. And, and I think that's where I think that's what they're likely to do if they make trades is they're going to look for ways to get themselves ready to push back towards the top of that division next year we'll certainly be able to tell based on if Barrios gets moved or not but I just if that is their approach I think it's the wrong approach I I, I look at the the roster and I mean like holding out hope for Royce Lewis is obviously and what did he, he tore his ACL is that right yeah like obviously he's an elite prospect and you know I really like Yerlov maybe there's something there but the idea of them contending in that division with with the White Sox even with Cleveland especially if they hold on to Jose Ramirez like I I just don't see them keeping up with those teams, even though they've done it the last couple of years, they've done it with a stud mega stud bat in the middle of that lineup, consistently mashing 40 homers a year. And he is gone. I, I don't see them replacing that. And I expect them to be sellers or continue to be sellers. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I'd be surprised if they're not trying to get back to the top next season. And that may be, it may be that after next season, they really have to, rethink things but i don't think i don't think they think they need to rebuild i think they think they need to fix their pitching any other trades teams you want to talk about well a lot of them wouldn't necessarily have long-term keeper implications right but whatever scherzer ends up getting moved for is is going to be something to watch and i was looking at the standings trying to think like you know who's really going to go for it and get max scherzer and i i would love to see even though it would be harsh for the Red Sox. I would love to see the Toronto Blue Jays make a run for Max Scherzer and really go after that wild card. They're pretty far back right now, but the season's far from over and they have, they have a lot of games left against the Red Sox, against the Rays. But even if they were just targeting the wild card, bring in Max Scherzer, they have a lot of infield prospects. Um, you know, Austin Martin, who they just, just drafted, looks to be one of their best. Does that make Jordan Groshans available? Could they move Groshans for Scherzer? 
and and really make a run at this thing with Robbie Ray and Scherzer, uh, Manoa when he gets healthy. Like that that team that could be one of the best teams in the playoffs. Their bullpen is definitely a bigger concern, but they need an ace at the front if they're going to really make a run at this thing. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think the other question with the Blue Jays in terms of a guy whose whose value could change is especially if they think they can extend Marcus Simeon, which I'm not sure if they do think that, but I'm not sure or what they, they do with to. or if they want to, but I'm not sure what they do with Kevon Biggio, who hasn't been playing regularly, has been struggling, but still has a lot of long-term value. You you wouldn't trade him for Scherzer because Scherzer's a rental. Right. But does he start to enter the picture if there's a starting pitcher with a couple years of control available to them or a team that could give them a starting pitcher and a reliever or two? Like, is there, is there some fit for a guy like Biggio? They've, my sense is that they still see Biggio as part of the long-term plan in Toronto. And so I don't know that they're anxious to move him, but he seems like a guy who, from a fantasy perspective, it'd be good to get him out of that crowded lineup because he he could use a place where he could play every day. And from a baseball perspective, again, I think it comes down a little bit to what they think they can do with Marcus Simeon or what their plans are. Cause otherwise like they don't have a second baseman next year. If they, if they trade Biggio and don't keep Simeon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Groshans and Martin, I think are pretty, pretty flexible in their, their that's flexibility true. there. <laughs> They're flexible in their flexibility there. But I mean, maybe the fit that's right in front of us would be if Minnesota wants to contend, but they they want to move Barrios is some kind of Kevin Biggio focused package for him because I think Barrios could be a pretty good fit in Toronto. But I mean, just to just to talk about Bar- uh, uh, Biggio for a second, I mean, I didn't get it at the beginning of the year, and like, look, I, I'm I'm wrong about just as much as I'm right, right? But I didn't get the hype, and I saw him going in the second or third round of some 15 team leagues. And I did not understand that for the life of me. And that is really blowing up in people's faces. Chad, what did people see in Kevin Biggio that isn't there with Marcus Simeon? Well, as you know, I'm a big Simeon fan. So right, this is well, the that isn't there podcast with... after all, but yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I took Simeon everywhere I could. So I am totally, I'm on board with that with Biggio. You know, I think what people saw was, He's got really good on base skills. They didn't. They haven't sure. played out quite as well this year. But right, his his so major league to be fair, understood. But you're still talking about a guy who had a 364 and then a 375 on base percentage in his two major league seasons before this one. Uh, a 368 combined on base percentage over 159 games, 695 plate appearances, and that's with a 310 BABIP. So it's not it's not BABIP luck. He gets on base because he works counts. He draws a ton of walks. He had a 16.1 percent walk rate over those two years, um, and that gives you such a strong baseline when you add in the fact that he's got the speed to steal 20 bases, he's got the power to hit 20 home runs. I mean again, if you if you look at if you look at those two seasons combined, right? So you look at uh 2019 and 2020 combined, his age 24 and 25 seasons, 24 home runs, 20 stolen bases in 695 plate appearances, 159 games. He basically played a full major league season. Went 2020 with a 368 on-base percentage. His his batting average is low. Right? He had a 240 batting average over those two years. But other than that, he's contributing everywhere. And with that on-base percentage, 
he he seemed like an ideal guy to be hitting at the top of that lineup in front of some of those big boppers they've got. And so he struck me as a guy who's got, you know, again, looking at those two years, he had 107 runs and 76 RBIs in those two seasons. So I, I don't know. I mean, I look at that and like, here's a guy who coming into the year had basically one major league season of production of time and had gone 2020 with 100 runs and a 368 on base percentage. Like, I don't know what's not to like. What I find interesting is I look at this season and his walk rate is down from 16.1% coming into the year to 13.1% now. His strikeout rate is exactly the same, 26.5 before, 26.5 now. And his BAPIP is down, but not dramatically. It was 310. It's now 289. Like I said, it's a 20-point drop, but it's neither of those look like crazy outlier numbers. And his on-base percentage has dropped by 40 points, 41 points from 368 to 327. He still is a guy who in 268 plate appearances has seven home runs and three stolen bases. So he's, he still is a guy who with regular playing time is, you know, in a 15-10 type pace. Um, and that's with, with what seems to be some oddly down numbers. I'm not sure what went wrong with him. His max exit velocity is up, although as we know, everyone's exit velocities are up this year. His barrel rate is sort of in line with where it's been. His hard hit rate's down a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, I'm so I, I'm not sure me, what to make of this year. He kind of reminds me of when Shane Bieber was first coming on the scene. And that's because people said Shane Bieber needs to throw more balls, which it sounds like that's just silly. Like, what? why would you need to throw more balls? But it's to get guys to chase more and you know, to keep counts interesting and not to live in the zone and, and end up getting crushed. Shane Bieber got hit really hard his first couple of years in the league. And I say he's similar to Biggio because it's a weird problem like that, where my issue with Biggio was like, yes, he has great on base ability, but that that's a double edged sword because that comes with him not putting balls in play. He doesn't swing the bat ever. And he's doing it more this year. It's, it's up about, I don't know. I just had it in front of me. His, his swing rate coming into the year was 35.9%. It's 41.2% this year. Sure. The, the bigger issue That's with his swing bad. rate is he's chasing too much, right? He he went from 62.8% zone swing to 64.7. So he, he increased his swings in the zone a little bit, but his chase rate went from 15.9%, which was excellent, to 22.1%, which is still not a bad chase rate but is much higher than it was. Before. Sure. And, and so maybe he's swinging at the wrong, at the wrong pitches. Um, his zone swing was still in both 2019 and 2020. It was like seven percentage points below the league average. And I thought, okay, well maybe if he starts swinging more then you know, he won't be getting on base quite as much, but maybe we'll do better in the batting average part where he's just putting more balls in play. He's pretty fast, but he hits the ball really softly. He doesn't have a high average exit velocity. He does not right. hit the ball hard consistently. I just never viewed him as an exciting player. And I thought, like, sure, before Semyon and before Springer, yes, he's your he's your leadoff guy for this team or your number two hole hitter for this team. But in what world is Kevin Biggio going to bat leadoff or second for a team that has George Springer and Marcus Semyon? Yeah, and right. that was kind of my mindset at the beginning of the year. And so th this is coming full circle in that I don't view Kevin Biggio as this absolutely useless fantasy player. I, I don't look at him that way. But I did not understand the hype at the beginning of the year. I remember getting into some discussions with people who were like, you want Marcus Semyon over Kevin Biggio? And I was like, obviously, I want Marcus Semyon over Kevin Biggio. 
And yet it, that's not how it went down. And so I guess this is a victory lap. And so it's kind of vain, but that, that's not what this is meant to be. I would love to know what the excitement was about Kevin Vigio so that I can buy low on him going into drafts next year. I'm just not seeing any reason to do it. Yeah, I think the, I mean, once they signed Simeon, it became very obvious, at least to me, <laughs> that Vigio wasn't going to have the value we thought he was. There just wasn't an obvious role for him or an obvious spot for him. Like it just, it just didn't seem like they weren't investing in him as their future <laughs> at the position. Um, and so that that was a that was a pretty telling sign to me. I still think, as I look at him moving forward. I don't know. I, I don't think he does need to swing more. I think he needs to go back to swinging less. I think he needs to go back to being very selective about what he swings at, hitting the pitches he can hit. And if you look at his numbers, like, yeah, he's got low exit velocities, but like his home run per fly ball rate the last couple of years was 13.9%. It's not like he had some like crazy outlier home run per fly ball rate that like he couldn't sustain with his, with his current approach. And so I think he just needs to get back to doing what he was doing and make people uh, make people come after him, make people walk him, like take those walks when they show up, continue to steal bases when he gets those opportunities. But the bigger thing he needs is an opportunity to actually have a regular every single day playing spot because it doesn't it, it's not going to happen in Toronto if Simeon stays there. He's going to continue to sort of do what I think, what I believe he's been doing, which is moving around, playing some different spots. He's played third base. He's played first base. He's played some second base. He's played some outfield. He's going to keep doing that. And he's going to keep getting sort of ir- somewhat irregular playing time, I think, because Toronto doesn't necessarily have a spot for him every day. And I think he needs to be back somewhere where he can get into a spot every day to, to really succeed, which may be Toronto. It may be that, you know, Simeon moves on, there's a spot for him and he slides back in and that's that. Uh, we just don't know. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I I think for Biggio to be the best version of himself, I think you're right. Like go back to what he was doing because clearly swinging more, especially outside the zone, isn't working this year. But to warrant an early round draft pick, you'd need the guy to swing more. And he's not doing it. Maybe in points leagues, you know, I, certainly the on-base percentage plays out more there. The walks play out more there. Maybe it's not the case. You, you want him to be his best self. But I'm, if I'm using in a category league and a rotisserie league, a high pick on Kevin Biggio, which it's too late. This is, this discussion is pointless because no one's going to do that anymore, at least not next year. He needs to swing more. And I, I just don't think when he does swing more, he has the ability to be that impactful. Yeah, I, I think in a, in a traditional five by five where he is going to be he's going to hurt you in batting average. And because he's going to hurt you in batting average, you're looking at a the best version of himself being a basically a three category contributor right runs stolen bases and home runs and even home runs he's yeah you know, I would 20 to 25 home runs is at best yeah but that's where he was the last couple of years right i mean he he is I, I don't know the guy he reminds me a little bit of uh, from that regard is a guy that we talked about this guy before we started recording today is dylan moore yeah who's another guy with like 2020 capabilities in the right lineup, in the right lineup spot, could put up a decent number of runs or maybe RBIs, but is not really going to help you anywhere else. I think Biggio in a traditional five by five is is fits into that kind of a category. Um, in a so no, not a guy you should be using an early pick on. A guy that you should be grabbing later and being happy he has multiple position eligibility and that you can use him to to fill in multiple spots and 
get some good counting stats out of him when he plays. In on-base leagues, whether that's a points league or any on-base league, I, I then he then he's very he's much more valuable, right? With because he's a playing time with consistent playing time, right? If he doesn't get if he if he is in a part-time role, then this is all out the door. If he goes back to being an everyday starter, then you can look at him in an on-base league and think he'll give you decent power, decent speed. He'll rack up some runs and RBIs just because of the lineup he's in, and he's a potentially elite middle infield on base percentage guy. And from that perspective, then he gets a lot more values, much more worth an early pick. But yeah, disappointing season from him for sure. So we've been going for over an hour here and we haven't even talked about the auto new question of the day. <laughs> yeah, we can tackle it now. Let me, uh, let me throw it out there. I'm just going to throw it. Basically it's like, I'm going to say some stuff and then you can just respond to it. However you want. You can give us examples. Just say some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot last couple episodes, certainly today about the trading deadline. And today was more about the MLB trade deadline, not our league's trade deadline. So in odd new leagues, you know, obviously it's different for teams in contention versus teams rebuilding. It depends on your salary cap space and it depends on the players themselves. But like, how do you begin to hedge your bets a little bit by putting out some bids on David Bednar on putting out some bids on, you know, he's not going to be available you know, Nolan Jones is not going to be available, but guys like that who playtime could be about to open up. Maybe Kybert Ruiz would be a really big reach because that's assuming he gets traded and then starts where he gets traded. But are there names you're targeting? Is this something that you look to do no matter what the situation is? Or is this just like a rebuilding mode type focus? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I do think it makes sense to speculate on guys whose roles might change in a meaningful way. I don't. I don't tend to do it as much with prospects. And the reason I don't do it as much with prospects is a, like a guy like Nolan Jones to me should be owned and rostered in every auto new league anyways, uh, especially given that most of those leagues are on base percentage leagues and he's got such strong on base skills. He's a relatively top prospect. He's probably going to be up soon. So like there's nothing coming up with him and I'm like, oh, now he needs to be rostered when before he didn't. Similarly, like you said, with Ruiz, I don't think Ruiz needs to be rostered in most leagues. And the reality is that even if he gets traded, if he gets traded and gets called up and gets the starting job, then he's interesting. But otherwise, I'm just sort of meh. Like I don't, I don't need to go out and, and get him. But I do think it is the right opportunity to go grab a guy, uh, especially in a five by five league, a guy like Bednar, because you've got 40 roster spots to work with. And using one of those roster spots on a guy who may end up getting you five, ten more saves down the stretch is worth it, especially given you could you could start an auction for him today, and by Friday you can cut him. Saturday you can cut him if it doesn't work out, and you can replace him with someone else who you want to pick up, with someone else who steps into a relief spot, with someone or a closer spot, with some other prospect you like. There's a lot of options for what you can do with that spot. If it doesn't work out with Bednar, I I think you know as I'm looking, does it make sense to go grab an Andahar or a Frazier because they might get traded and it might opens up space? Maybe. Um, does it make sense to you know is now a good time to try to trade for Gavin Lux because maybe he gets traded and opens up space? Like he's probably not a free agent in your league, but if you could trade for him, maybe now is a good time to trade for him. So yeah, I do think it, it makes some sense to speculate. I just think you want to make sure that you're speculating. If you're doing it, 
you're speculating on a guy that either A, you're going to be fine holding on to, right? So like if you trade for Lux now, you can't trade for Lux entirely on the basis that he might get traded and get a starting job somewhere. Because the chances are Lux isn't going to get traded and he's not going to have a starting job somewhere. And so it might be a good idea to buy low and see if you can, you know, get in at the right time, but you have to do it at a price where you're fine with him continuing to play the role he's playing with the Dodgers for the foreseeable future, because that might be what happens. With a guy that you can pick up as a free agent, like a Bednar, like, you know, if, if Andahar is a free agent in your leagues, if Belazovic is available, then you have a little bit more freedom to say, you know what, I'm going to grab this guy and either... The trade deadline is going to open up an opportunity for him, and by Monday, I'm going to be super excited to have him. Or it's not going to happen, and by Monday, fine, I'll cut them for whoever looks exciting next. Like that should be that should be part of your strategy with the 39th and 40th spots on your roster is churning through guys who have some upside. It just depends who those guys are for you right now. Um, if you've got someone at the back of your roster who you're really excited about, but like, I'll give you a good example. I picked up Eli White in a handful of my leagues because he got off to a really, he, he got off to a bad start earlier this year, got hurt. And when he came back, he was excellent for a couple of weeks and now just hasn't been very good again. Fine. I, I picked him up when he came back and had that hot start out off the injured list. Cause it was, you know, maybe he was a prospect with some interesting hype around him. Thought maybe we'll see what happens. Hasn't panned out. Ditching him to add somebody who I think might get a better opportunity after the trade deadline is totally fine and and won't hurt me because I won't miss White and then won't hurt me because I can ditch the other guy if I need to a week later. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I at the beginning, I've got a couple of fab bids, not in auto new because most of my auto new leagues saves, like I do auto new points leagues where saves matter a little bit, but they're just not as huge. Um, but in some five by fives, I've got fab bids and deeper five by fives on Bednar because why not? And if he's good, like if he, if they, he ends up being the closer in Pittsburgh and ends up being a good closer in Pittsburgh, then I just got a good closer cheap. And if he doesn't get the job or if trade doesn't happen or whatever, then by Saturday or Sunday next week, I put in a new bid on someone else to replace him. And I haven't really, hasn't hurt me. So I think that's that's my overall take is is you should be using those 39th and 40th roster spots in and out of new league to churn through upside plays who might be able to help you in bigger ways than some of the guys you have there now. And reading the tea leaves a little bit around trade deadline time, you're probably going to read them wrong. And the guy you pick up probably isn't going to make a difference. And that still isn't a reason not to do it because there's just it's so low cost that it's worth a shot. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think the easiest ones, the layups are, like you said, the relievers, right? The Dave Bednars of the world. Um, I've certainly been do- having this approach basically all season in our Ot New League, particularly with my pitching. I made a disastrous trade of Julio Urias, who I Urias, who I did not really believe. I mean, it's not that I didn't believe him. I thought Lazardo could be just as good. Obviously, uh, this for this year anyway, I was wrong. So my rotation's been in shambles, and I've just been adding those prospects, which I guess is kind of a different discussion. But now with the trade deadline, it looks like some of those guys might be beginning um, to appear at the major league level, and I'm going to take advantage of that today. For example, I have Daniel Lynch going, um, and he looks tremendous. Granted, against the Tigers, but that's what I like to see. Uh, some of these, not that that opened up because of a trade, but some of these prospects that you invest in. 
finally get the call and actually have somewhat of a semblance of a rotation. By the way, while we were talking about that and I was saying how I wouldn't miss Eli White, I should just drop him and pick up a guy that, that might get some better opportunity. He had a home run. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, of course. So now I can't drop him. Naturally. No, it was, I'm looking at his, his game log and fan graphs. It's his first home run in, in nine days and only his second, his third in the month of July. Um, he had gotten off to, when he came back from the IL, he basically came back in early June, June 8th, and had a, had a two home run game about a week later, had another home run about a week after that. And then since then just hasn't really done a whole lot. So I don't know, maybe, maybe now he's getting hot again. Off Granky too. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure I didn't use him. I've got him in a couple leagues, but I'm sure he's not in my lineup anywhere. So <laughs> what are you going to do? All right, nothing now. Yeah. Anyways, uh, it was a good question. Good topic. I, I enjoyed the speculation on trades. Just a reminder, like we said at the beginning, this wasn't us reporting. We're not trying to make trades. We're not trying to figure out. We're just sort of trying to think about things that might happen, that theoretically could happen. Uh, and, and the bigger thing is not that Lux might get traded for Jose Ramirez. It's the idea that like maybe Cleveland clears room for some of their young guys. Maybe Lux gets moved to a team where he gets more regular playing time. Those are the takeaways you should really be focused on. Or who are some of these guys that that may see their value increase in the next week as we, we count down the minutes to the Major League trade deadline coming up on Friday, right? It's this Friday? Yeah. Let me look. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, thank you for listening. Go back and watch some more baseball. Watch the Olympics. There's some fun Olympic sports going on. So enjoy your week while you wait around to see what trades actually happen rather than the stuff we just made up. While you're watching the Olympics and listening to our podcast, don't forget to leave us a review, leave us a rating, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can follow me at Chad Young. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.